a big part of my journey has been discovering my queerness and discovering the different kinds of relationships I like having with people of different genders and realizing that maybe my connections with people and my attraction to people really isn't based on gender at all and that it is just about human interaction and and energy and connection with people regardless of what genitals they have regardless of what gender they identify as all of it and just letting it be about oh i like you as the person that you are welcome to normalizing non-monogamy the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Well, welcome to episode 303. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a wonderful conversation with Casey. Casey is, first of all, a badass, right? Right. <laughs> can, can you tell this is our second take at this? <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to ruin that. Anyway, Casey's a badass. She is a porn performer, a content creator, a writer, director, producer, and she's currently practicing solo polyamory. We have a wide-ranging, amazing conversation with her, as you will listen to, but one of the main themes throughout the whole conversation is about the power of truly being yourself. Yeah, I think to, to build on that, I mean, yes, she is a serious badass, but the the conversation about being yourself is born so much out of the societal pressures and norms that are and expectations that get heaped on all of us. But Casey really unpacks a lot of those in a beautiful way and talks about what sort of her her personal development into relationships and sex and love and dating and all of that was and how it was just really, really impacted by the shame that she carried around. And so we're just so grateful to Casey for, first of all, coming on the show. And second of all, for doing the work that she does. It's amazing work. And we hope you check it out. One of the things that she talks about uh, that she's really excited about and is amazing is a new sort of mini series called Primary, which is Uh, on the platform uh, Lust Cinema. Links to all this will be in the show notes. But it is porn, but it is porn built around a storyline around non-monogamy. And it's pretty amazing. And so please uh, have a listen to what Casey has to say about it, the inspiration behind it, and then go check it out. We highly, highly recommend it. Yes. For anyone who is a premium subscriber, we're going to jump into the interview with Casey now. And for anyone else, we're going to go through a few announcements. The first one being, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements front up front, jump right into the interview, but you still get important dates in the outro. To sign up for the premium subscription, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you can sign up right there. And some of those important dates, we, yes. we got a fun new date coming up for we you. We do. Our virtual meet and greets are back. We're bringing them back. We we told you all these would be coming back. We didn't string you along. No, we took a break for the summer, but they are coming back. So September 20th, mark your calendars, clear everything off. I don't care what it is. You need to clear that time. Yes. September 20th, there is 
more information on our website at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You click on the events tab and you'll be able to click into there to see all of the information and the time and how to sign up and what that looks like. But if you're new and you haven't heard of these before, these are a way to meet amazing people who are exploring non-monogamy or not. Maybe they're just open-minded. We have a lot of monogamous people who show up as well. But they're really sort of a friending community building event. You might meet somebody that maybe it gets a little bit more. Yeah, it could be a dating event too. I mean, hey, go listen to episode 300. You'll hear how that can happen real fast. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Uh, But these virtual meet and greets are open to anyone. The requirements are that you must be open-minded and respectful. And we hope you do that in life anyway. And they're super fun. What we do is take two hours and we give you talking points and we use use Zoom breakout rooms to have scramble you up and have you meet a lot of different people throughout the whole evening with a fun talking point to talk about. Yep. So we will see you on September 20th. We look forward to it. And if you're looking for maybe a little more ongoing community action, maybe just one time a month isn't enough for you, we get you. You can check out our online community as well. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab. It's all right there. And you can join for as little as $5 a month and you get monthly Q&A calls with Finn and I. You have a, we have a monthly men's group, a monthly women's group call, and ongoing chat support in the platform. When you say monthly Q&A calls with you and me, mm-hmm. there's other people there too. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not just us. It's a it's a roundtable discussion. Yeah. And a lot of the people who are in the community actually got their start uh, at the virtual meet and greet. It's a little bit of a gateway. Yeah. A little bit of a gateway drug for you there. Yeah. yeah so yeah. we hope to see you both at the meet and greet and in the community. Again, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. You'll find all of the links there. Yes. And one just other thing we wanted to say really quick is while you're on that community tab, you can scroll down and see the weekly groups tab. We are launching and have been launching weekly peer support groups. This is in addition to the community. This is a great way to get some more intimate time for peer support on a weekly basis. Yeah, just to build on that as well, I started the weekly men's support group back in October, and it's been transformational for me and everybody in it. We meet every week. We meet for about 90 minutes. There's 10 of us. We limited the group size to 10, so everybody has time to be heard and to support one another, and they're truly amazing spaces. So please check it out. There's, again, more information under the community tab on our website, and we'd love to have you join us. Yes. And one last but not least thing. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Got a little tongue tied there. That's all right. You untied it. Uh, On our website, you can find links under resources for stdcheck.com. This is our favorite way to get tested for STIs and the service that Finn and I use. It is quick, discreet, and simple. And for only $129, you can get a 10-panel test using the links on our website. Gets you the $10 discount plus supports the show. Yes, and the links support the show, and it would mean a lot to us if if you get tested. So frankly, just so you know your your sexual health status and you're out there moving through the non-monogamous world with that information. Yes. And yes, so next up, last up, reach out to us. Send us an email, send us a voicemail. We would love to have you come on the show. To be honest, you know how we wound up with Casey on the show? One of her fans actually reached out to us and told us that we should reach out to her. And that's how it happened. Yeah. So you never know how you might wind up on the show. Maybe you, you, maybe you have a fan. Yeah, that's true. All right. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, let's go talk to Casey. 
Casey. Welcome to the podcast. We're excited to have you here today, and we'd love for you to start by just introducing yourself at whatever level you feel comfortable. Yeah. Hi. I'm super excited to be here. So my name is Casey. My pronouns are she, they, and I am a porn performer and content creator as well as a writer, director, and producer working mostly in the adult entertainment space. Awesome. And you've got some new work coming out that we'll definitely talk about later as well, but feel free to throw it in here right now just so people can kind of like maybe mull around in their mind like what what it is and what it kind of looks like. Sure. So I direct for uh, a woman named Erica Lust, who is an amazing feminist porn director. I work in Los Angeles creating movies for her website, and I have a new film coming out called Primary. This is actually season three of Primary. It's more of a limited series kind of structure, so it has six episodes, and Primary is a show about polyamory and non-monogamy. Love it. We happen to be fans ourselves, so (laughs) we, we are excited to talk more about it in a little bit, but seemingly... And we happen to know that non-monogamy has been part of your life, not just for your work. But could you maybe start with sharing with us what is sort of your relational ecosystem as it stands today? And then we'd love to go back in time and figure out how how we got here. Sure. So I have recently started considering myself to be solo poly. Um, which is a new term that I've kind of recently encountered that resonates a lot with me. For a long time, I was in a very hierarchical primary relationship um, that was open, that then kind of transitioned into polyamory, started as open from the very beginning, but transitioned into polyamory. And as part of that transition, the primary relationship has been de-escalating in a way that has led me to feel more solo poly. I've been working a lot on prioritizing my relationship with myself and making that my most important relationship in my life. But I think like a lot of non-monogamous people, I have kind of a weird tangled web of romantic and platonic partners. So I, I refer to most of these people just as friends. I find that the word friend is very all-encompassing mm-hmm. and not overly complicated. Mm-hmm. So I have I have quite a few friends who I have romantic and sexual relationships with, and some of those have been uh, very longstanding. And then I have a couple of newer ones as well. Awesome, I love it. And when did when did the open relating come into your life for the first time? So I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to dating and relationships. I didn't really date in high school. I just, I was, I was very shy. I was very reserved. I didn't know how to interact with people in that capacity. So I started dating my junior year of college when I was 21. Um, And that was when I got my first boyfriend And starting with him, I was a little bit of a serial monogamist, and I cheated on all of them. Um, And I found myself unable to maintain monogamy. Like, no matter how hard I tried, it was just something that I couldn't quite figure out how to maintain. I kept having connections with people that I wanted to explore and 
then would explore those connections and then feel really guilty. And I went through this whole infidelity struggle where I was feeling so much guilt and so much shame and I was hurting people. And so about 10 years ago now, maybe even 11 years ago, I met uh, the first partner who was who I was immediately open with. And he introduced me to the concept essentially in a really straightforward way. I was, I had already moved to Los Angeles and was working in porn and he also was working in porn and it was just what we did. It was, I have other partners. I expect you to have other partners. This is what we do. You can have sex with who you want. You can date who you want. The only real thing I expect of you is honesty. And that clicked and resonated with me. And that's been my life ever since. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the, well, you, you called it late bloomer, right? Like not starting to date until you were 21. And I'm just curious about like some of the, and this is in no way to like pathologize or say even that, you know, all the infidelity was necessarily wrong. I think, right. There's, there's all sorts of feelings about that around, but I think what I'm curious around is just the, when you land at 21 years old, having been super shy, super reserved, not really knowing how to do that. And it, you start, you open up a new world. I can see that being just super exciting and and really not wanting to be like with one person because you're like, well, this is a whole new, like I just discovered candy. I don't want to just eat the M&Ms. I want to eat all of the candy because it's all delicious. And I was just curious, like, what was that time of life like for you? Um, I love your metaphor. That's very much how it felt. I was at the same time discovering kink and BDSM. And so very quickly in what I can now have the language to describe as just a head over heels NRE relationship with this person who I knew I wasn't ever going to be in a long-term relationship with, but it didn't matter. I was so overwhelmingly in love with this person that I wanted to do anything for him um, and loved all of that, but at the same time would go to the dungeon and meet someone new. And then all of a sudden have all of this NRE for this other person and have no idea how to deal with that or cope with that, or even understood what I was feeling at all. Mm -hmm. I was, I had thought that I was going to grow up and meet someone and fall in love with my soulmate. And that would be my one person forever for the rest of my life, the end. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I'm having all of these emotionally and sexually intense experiences with people while at the same time realizing this is not my quote soulmate. This is not my singular person and having absolutely no idea how to cope with that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I think what's really interesting in there is they, the you go to a dungeon and you do a scene or even I could tie this into swinging, right? Like you go to a swinging club, a swing club or a sex club and you have sex with somebody. And even if there are these like, oh, this is a scene, this is a contained space, no strings attached, you can use all of the terminology, but you don't really control what happens, right? If you're like, you leave there and you're like, man, I've been thinking about that person or that interaction for like three or four days. Is that new relationship energy or is that just like, um, it was just an amazing, been like, why do we need to sort it out and just let it be what it is? But that's not how, that's not how a lot of us do that or what we're taught is okay to do to just like explore it for what it is. 
Yeah. And I definitely at the time, I I wish someone had said to me at the time, it is okay that this is what it is. It is okay that this feels good. It is okay that you can do a singular scene with someone and it can feel really good contained within that box. But then outside that box, you don't actually want to go get dinner with that person. Or maybe you do. And all of this is okay. (laughs) At the time, I really thought I was required to be monogamous and that all of this other stuff I was doing was hurting the person I had said I was going to be monogamous with. And I was, I was hurting him. I did hurt him. Um, and that is something that I had to take responsibility for because we had an agreement that I broke multiple times. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that was in no way to like to, to glaze over, right. Broken relation, broken relationship agreements or broken consent, all of those things. But in the sense of even just doing it consensually and open, right, we still, we're still fed those that this is wrong and this isn't the way we should be doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. How did that journey go for you? I know you, like you said, about 10 years ago, you were introduced um, by, to the, I guess, non-monogamy world. Um, But along that journey before, like, how, I guess, how did that transition go for you? So I met this person, his name is Bryn. Um, we started in our open relationship, which is the best, best label I have to describe that. And we were essentially mostly monogamish mm-hmm. for a while, for about five years. Um, I had a friend who I would have sex with sometimes when I hung out with him and, and Bryn had friends who he would hang out and, and just a little bit on the side. And then of course I was also engaging in sex work. And so was doing that, which is something that I don't consider to be part of like that, that sex is not part of my personal story. Mm-hmm. And then I met a friend who we met on Twitter. It was super casual. He was a fan of mine. I was a fan of his it was very plain that we both really just wanted to fuck each other. (laughs) And he asked me out, we went and got sushi and had amazing sex in a hotel room one night. And then I thought that was going to kind of be it, but we stayed connected and over time got closer and closer. And then COVID happened and we ended up in each other's COVID bubble and getting much closer than I think either one of us ever expected to. Mm-hmm. And at that time was like, Oh, I I'm catching feelings. I'm having feelings. This is not, this is not open anymore. This is deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And that was when I realized that I wanted to engage more with polyamory and engage more with the polyamory community and learn more about polyamory because really up until that point, I had just kind of been existing in openness and my partner and I had pretty good communication. We just kind of did our thing, but there wasn't a ton of education and learnings about it. It was just, this is what we're doing. This is fine. Everything's, everything's cool. And then started getting deeper and having deeper connections with people. I was like, oh, this is actually more complicated than 
what was happening before. I kind of had the the kiddie pool version and now I've jumped into the deep end. Now I need to address a lot of my attachment issues and need to deal with a lot of my relationship insecurities that I have and physical insecurities that I have and and communication insecurities that I have. And so that has been my journey for the past two, three years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. And I think you know, Emma's question was similar to the one I was going to kind of ask, which was exactly sort of what you touched on, which is you, you said like, well, this person described open relationships and non-monogamy in a way that really just clicked. And then it's like, but then you got to like walk the talk and that, that can be a whole lot different, maybe not harder for some people, but definitely different than like you said, like day one, you're like, yeah, we were just kind of doing our thing and it just worked. And then, and I, this is, I think this is a common thread. I mean, it's common in our partnership and we've seen it so much as you're moving along, everything's kind of just jiving and then something gets in the system and you're like, there's what a new relationship or new feeling, some intensity, something happens and you're like, everything we've been doing just stopped working. (laughs) And now we have to like figure out how to make it work again. And maybe it's not completely broken, but you have to, you really have to step back and think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I feel like at least I know for some people, it's actually very difficult to sit and say, I am polyamorous. And that brings up a lot of, of fear for them. But for me, it's, it's super easy for me to be like, hi, yep. Yep. I'm poly. (laughs) But actually doing the work and having the tough conversations is harder. It is. It, it's sometimes very painful. It absolutely is. What was, what was the shift for you that, that you found, or maybe, maybe a couple of them that you found to be the harder or the hardest parts of making that transition from we were cruising along in the, you know, in the carpool lane and the all the, <laughs> area. Yeah. and then all of a sudden, yeah, we, we got flat tires and rocks in our windshield. Like, <laughs> so the, with Bryn, who was the person who introduced me, mm-hmm. uh, my relationship with him, the things that have affected and shifted our relationship have not been polyamory related. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been other things and life things and, and financial goals being different and stuff like that. But the biggest thing for me relating to polyamory is this person I was just talking about who I met that we just thought was going to be a hookup. He had been with multiple primary partners. I was always a secondary. That was always my position. Even we were just joking around and called each other fuck buddies. Like I, I was never looking for a primary relationship with him and he was looking for a primary partner and his current primary partner, who I think is absolutely wonderful has her own relationship insecurities Mm -hmm. and in him building his relationship with her, my relationship with him had to shift and Mm -hmm. that was challenging. Mm Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. And like, what did, I'm guessing that you two are still in your, or in each other's orbit. We are. Yes. But what does that, what did that shift look like for you? Um, it really, it looked like a lot of uncomfortable conversations, making sure that everybody felt safe. Yeah. And him having to really, really do the work as a hinge in a way that he didn't really have to before mm-hmm. to make sure that I knew that I 
was loved and taken care of and supported while also she knew that she was loved and taken care of and supported. And a lot of conversations also between her and I about what I wanted out of my relationship with him and what I was looking for. And a lot of me saying, you know, I promise I'm not trying to steal your boyfriend away from you. I don't want to be monogamous with him. I promise that's not what I'm looking for. And a lot, a lot, a lot of reassurances and some crying at a hotel room at Disneyland one night. <laughs> Bob in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. I think there's just a lot of things that have to happen when, I mean, first of all, when a relationship transitions, right. Or let's go to like the stereotypical mono culture would be right. We break up and we just stop talking to each other and mm-hmm. it's pretty black and white. So we transitioned the relationship and everybody kind of knows what's happened, right? And uh, it doesn't have to be that harsh or doesn't have to be toxic. But a lot of times it's, we broke up, we're going to take some space and everybody knows. But in this case, you're sort of saying, we're still partners, but it's going to look different. And it's really easy to conflate time spent together with importance in someone's life or time on the phone, amount text, like all of those things are then correlated to, well, I must mean less to you if, if you're not talking to me as much. And how do you then reconcile the time has changed, but the importance in my life hasn't changed and who you are and who we are hasn't changed. But like, there's no, there's no like playbook for it. And you're, it's just constant conversations. Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, one of the things that I love about non-monogamy is that I I hate the mononormative idea that you date someone, you break up with them, you never speak to each other again. Mm-hmm. I that makes me so uncomfortable that that skeeves me out just thinking about it. And what I love about non-monogamy is that there's a space to have these really uncomfortable conversations. And I don't want to say that I love having these conversations. <laughs> I don't, they're not pleasant. They, they feel icky, but I love that there's the space and the safety to have them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there is no right answer because I do feel like it is really easy to say, you know, that, that him and I have known each other since 2015. So there's this history and this importance in each other's lives that then affects a new person coming in. Like it does. Absolutely. It just inherently does. And I feel really lucky that there's a space to have these conversations. So it's not goodbye, broken up. I'm blocking your number. We're never speaking to each other again, because at least in my personal experience, everybody I've ever been in a relationship with and everybody I've ever felt feelings for has affected me in some way, some more than others. And I don't want to remove them in such a black and white way from my life. That just doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it, it's maybe a, a, a weird tangent to go off, but around communication. And I'm curious how the, you, you'd said like you cheated, you kind of did a serial monogamy slash cheated on all of your partners. And I'm curious when you introduced non-monogamy, did you see a shift in that? Like, obviously you still have to have hard conversations, but now they're actual conversations instead of just, well, I'm just going to cheat on you and you'll go away and I'll move on to the next one. 
Yeah, it took me a minute to feel comfortable being able to say, hey, I met someone, I'd like to have sex with them. <laughs> yeah. It definitely there definitely was an yeah. adjustment period where instinctually what I wanted to do was lie. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like I hated lying so much that I would force myself to just say, Hey, I met someone, I'd like to have sex with them. And then the response I got always was, Cool, thanks for letting me know. Have fun. You know, have fun, be safe, have a great time. Let me mm-hmm. know if you you know, let me know if you need anything. I'm here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so Bryn really was the person who helped break that pattern in me mm-hmm. and just really, really created a safe space where when he genuinely said, I am not jealous, I would like you to go do this if you want to, that, that he meant it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And building on that a little bit more, how, I guess, are there other ways, I'm sure there are, in the last five to 10 years of exploring this all that you've seen yourself grow? One million ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so much that it's actually tricky for me to pick something. I guess the big thing for me is uh, getting more and more comfortable with the things that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that I thought that I was required to be monogamous, I thought that I was required to be heterosexual, that that was just what you do. You find a nice boy, the end, and there's no space for anything else. And a big part of my journey has been discovering my queerness and discovering the different kinds of relationships I like having with people of different genders and realizing that maybe my connections with people and my attraction to people really isn't based on gender at all. And that it is just about human interaction and, and energy and connection with people, regardless of what genitals they have, regardless of what gender they identify as all of it. And just, letting it be about, Oh, I like you as the person that you are. Mm-hmm. And, and even then, and we do these things together because these are the things that make sense for us to do. I would imagine versus like, well, we've said we're in a relationship. So that means we have to have sex this many times. We have to go on. Like you just, do you just let it kind of be what it is? Yeah. Which again is another thing that I love about non-monogamy is you know, I've been doing a lot of thinking about the relationship escalator and what that means and what that looks like and realizing that like not every relationship has to escalate, but I can have amazing, super deep, emotionally connected relationships with people. And it doesn't have to result in a white picket fence and, and kids and a dog and all of those things. And, and that's okay. And it, it did take me a long time to realize that that's okay. And that, again, it's just having a conversation with that person about the things that you're looking for in that relationship. I also feel like it's about, it's not just about emotional connection, that it's also about sex. And that I have very different kinds of sex with different partners. Mm-hmm. I have the partners that I do BDSM with and engage in very heavy BDSM. And then I have the partners that that's not their thing. And 
I still love having sex with them. I don't need to do this crazy BDSM stuff with everyone. I want to do the things that make sense with the person that I'm with, which I find is, is often an insecurity for people. I find that my quote, more vanilla partners are like, but I'm not doing this thing. Is that okay? Or did I do it? Okay. Or I, I wanted to try this a little, something a little bit kinky, but I wasn't sure because you're so experienced. You have all of this knowledge. And I'm like, no, no, no. What you're doing is amazing. I'm here with you because I want to be with you. You don't have to be anything that you aren't. I'd rather you be authentically yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, and to build on that, like how fun is that to be the person who helps show somebody brand new, something that you've been doing for so long and you're passionate about. And I totally get that mindset because I have that mindset sometimes. I'm like, well, I'm not going to be a pro, so I shouldn't even touch it. But like, how cool of an experience is it to show somebody the thing that you love, even if you're just dipping a toe in? Like, that's still fun. Yeah, I love it. I love being that person. I love being the friend you can call for that thing. It <laughs> it always makes me happy. It always makes me feel good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I also had a thought really quick, just back on, you, you kind of said around trust um, or maybe you didn't say trust, maybe the word trust popped into my brain, but it was around the, the infidelities. And I think you, you, well, actually, I think you did say trust around Bryn really showing you through his actions that like he didn't, he wasn't baiting you into this, that he truly meant this. And I just think that's a really important piece that, that there's two sides to trust, right? There's the, okay, maybe people have to rebuild trust with somebody after an infidelity, to say, okay, I trust this person, that that won't happen again. But there also has to be trust built to say, I want to share something with you and I need that to be a safe place to share. Because, it, I mean, as you just kind of pointed out, like you hate lying, you seemingly hated cheating on people, you don't like hurting people. This isn't like a thing you're like, I'm a, I love cheating on people and I just can't get enough right. of it. Like you didn't have the trust or the security or the safety to be able to go and talk to the people you were with about what the hell was going on for you. And I just, I think that's a really important piece that people miss. You know, infidelity is always pinned on the person who committed the infidelity, but there's, there's two people in that relationship. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I really like that ideology. Yeah. And, and that's, again, just covering our own asses. That's not just a blanket like, hey, yeah, there are people out there who are cheaters who don't like, yes, that's not what we're sure. talking about. So I'm sure. just... No, no, that's <laughs> not what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Perfect. I love it. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and ask, I guess, in your life, in your friendships, in your family, I guess, in general, in your orbit, how open, I mean, about your work, about your relationships, are you? And how has that gone? I am relatively open just via pornography. Mm -hmm. I think that while for me, I have a pretty delineated difference between at work sex and personal life sex, and these are very different things. I think that most people just see it as sex. Mm -hmm. And so most people, once they find out that I do porn or they know I do porn, they thus assume that I am in some form of open relationship. And then it becomes really easy to have that conversation and the door just kind of swings right open. Mm -hmm. 
I'm trying to think. I must have some friends who don't know. <laughs> there must be someone. I think most everyone in, at least everyone who I'm close with. Yeah. Knows. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I feel like pretty much everyone's been really receptive and really open-minded. I also find that it's much more complicated to tell people that I do porn than it is to tell people that I'm non-monogamous people. Like once, once again, like once they've gotten past the hurdle of the fact that I have sex on camera, nothing is surprising anymore. And it becomes very easy (laughs) to have that conversation. Um, But also I do live in Los Angeles. I find that people are more open-minded about everything in Los Angeles. And so I, I've been pretty lucky that that hasn't really been a huge struggle for me. Yeah. 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 And also a great tip for anybody who's worried about coming out as non-monogamous, start doing porn. And (laughs) then that conversation becomes a whole lot easier. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's really hard to tell people that you do porn, but to say like, Oh, I have two partners. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Order of operations. Start exactly. a porn career, yeah. then tell everybody that you've been non-monogamous for however long. Yeah, just get naked on the internet. It solves all your problems. Good. Yep. And if people haven't figured out the sarcasm, well, then we can't help them. <laughs> I love that. I'm, I'm curious, the, the delineation you talked about between work sex and personal sex, and even maybe I'll tie in feelings and emotions. I'm curious how Mm -hmm. for you, you've seen your ability, I guess, even kind of tying it back to that, like, hey, Bryn tells you this sort of new way of relating and it clicks, but then you've got to do it. And I'm curious how for you, you've been able to sort out, am I okay with people having sex versus work sex versus what happens when they fall in love or catch feelings? Yeah. Um, so I, I had been doing porn for about eight months before I met Bryn, just to put it contextually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Um, I have always been the person that feels like sex, specifically like penetrative sex, isn't particularly intimate. Um, I don't exactly know where that comes from. Maybe it comes from that I started engaging in BDSM activities before I ever had penetrative sex. I don't know. But to me, something like holding hands or making out is way, way, way more intimate than like penis and vagina just is. So for me, doing my job and having sex with people on camera is just a part of doing my job. It's just Mm -hmm. going to work. It's just being a stunt performer essentially is the analogy I like to make is that it's, I'm like a, I'm like a stunt performer. I go, I, I use my body physically to do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I engage in a certain amount of risk to do that job. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to my partner, so Bryn is not a performer. He is a director and a producer and, and works behind the scenes. He's a cinematographer, editor. He does you know every job. Mm-hmm. We have had conversations about him performing. He doesn't want to. And the only reason why I would feel uncomfortable with him performing is because he doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I don't want him to go do something that he doesn't want to do. And that he wouldn't feel good about doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I am inclined to feel a ton of compersion. And I love when my partners are having good feelings 
in their other relationships. I, I always have like, even, even back in serial monogamy cheating days, often I was expected to be monogamous to this person, but this person was not expected to be monogamous to me. Makes it a whole hell of a lot harder to be monogamous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, all, 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 all kinds of complicated. But when they would tell me about something that they did with another partner, I always felt really good before I had the word to describe it. I was just like, this is great. I want you to feel good. I want you to be happy. I want you to enjoy your life. And so for me, like, I don't know. I just am am lucky that it is relatively easy for me. And it's always been relatively easy for me. Do I get jealous? Absolutely. Occasionally, I do feel jealousy. And I'm like, whoa, what's this feeling? I'm not super used to feeling this feeling. (laughs) Then I have to work through it. But for the most part, I really just want and encourage my partners to do the things that make them feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's no. beautiful. Yeah, it is. And, and I love too, that you kind of threw in there that like, that's what you want, but you know what? It's not a perfect system either. The yeah, stuff right. comes up, right? right. Yeah. No, nothing is perfect. If, if only, but no, nothing, nothing is ever perfect. And there's always bumps in the road. For me personally, I find that the bumps come a lot from me projecting my insecurities onto other people yeah, or projecting, you know, feeling like, oh, this person is, is better than me in some way, usually like more attractive in some way or something that, that hits on my, my insecurities. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's where I find that usually my jealousy comes from is like, oh, they're spending time with this person because they think that this person is quote better than me. And it's reminding myself that like, that's, that's me and my insecurities and my shit. And my partner spends time with me because they want to spend time with me and they spend time with this other person because they want to spend time with this other person. And it is not a competition. We are not in competition. We are not in comparison. We are just probably meeting slightly different needs. Mm -hmm. And then I work through that. And then that feels much better to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the way you say that, I think, can come across as very simple, yeah, <laughs> but, it's not. but in practice, right? It's not right. <laughs> in practice, it's not. No, in in practice, it's 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 hard. Big feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, because it's you know we kind of touched on earlier is a lot of us even if we don't want to you equate well you're spending more time with them you you like them you love them more than me and versus stepping back and going wait a minute, I don't even have that time to spend with you. I, I'm <laughs> so just true. annoyed that you're spending it with somebody else and you're not available. <laughs> if if I were to somehow be a free right now, like be, and there's so much of that that it's like, I wouldn't even be able to meet that need if you wanted it from me. And yet I'm somehow getting spun up in my head over it. And it's being able to figure out what our, what our, what our true needs are. I mean, you, you said that earlier and then, setting expectations with partners and, and, and then 
and then disappointing one another and resetting those expectations and doing it all over again. <laughs> yep. I, I literally last night, I have a new friend who has actually been my platonic friend for a very long time, but, but, uh, we stopped working together. He used to work for me. He doesn't work for me anymore. And so we felt like we could maybe have the space to explore something else that we've kind of flirted around for the past however many years. And mm -hmm. last night we had what we called a grown-up conversation and we just talked about expectations and talked about that that work is a big priority for me and a lot of my time goes towards work and that is one of my relationships as far as I'm concerned is is professional career building. And I only have so much time to give. Because, you know, as much as I would love to see him more frequently, we live about 45 minutes apart when there's no traffic. <laughs> which and, is never. <laughs> which is never, which is the middle of the night. Yeah, exactly. Um, and sure, I would, I would love to see him more frequently, but I, I felt like I needed to set the expectation so that I wasn't a disappointment because I never want to disappoint somebody mm -hmm. of that. This is, this is my calendar. We can share calendars. We can do that thing. But I'm busy and I'm like, really fucking busy and only have so much time to give right now. And that that has to be what it is. And he said, I understand. That sounds good. I would still like to keep exploring what we're doing. And it was a great conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have you have the expectations of what what that means that now time doesn't equal importance. Importance yeah. equals importance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That was amazing. I appreciate yeah. that. Oh, and it's a beautiful example of, of how the conversations, conversations can go when, when you have them with intention. Yes. And yeah. this, this particular person is someone who has been polyamorous for a long time. I have known his girlfriend for a long time. His girlfriend has a husband and another boyfriend. There's a whole, a whole again, web going on. But it was, I found it to be very, very refreshing to have a conversation like this with someone who has had conversations like this before. I find, I find for whatever reason that I need to do more thinking about that. I, I often engage in relationships with people that maybe this is one of their first non-monogamous relationships. And then I'll say to my therapist, I'm never doing that again. And then I do it again. <laughs> um, so it's been, it's been quite refreshing to start something new with someone who has a lot of the language and has a lot of the experience. Yeah. 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 Well, it's just a different, uh, different level of conversation oftentimes because <laughs> that person has experience as well. Yeah. 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 I, you, you, you dropped a nugget in there a little bit ago that I would love to pick apart. And that was yeah. that you started exploring the kink in BDSM world before you actually started down the having sex road and penetrative, I'm, sex. penetrative sex road. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah, curious yeah. what, I mean, I, that seemingly would factor into the late bloomer category. And I'm curious how, how that looked for you, because I also think there's probably a lot of people out there who are in your shoes and it probably doesn't get talked about a whole lot. So I'd love to talk about that for a few minutes. Sure. I, I knew from a very, very young age that I was kinky before I knew that word for sure. I just knew that in elementary school when my friends would talk about kissing boys, I'd be like, I don't want to kiss 
boys. There's other things I want to do. <laughs> it's, it's not that I don't and like very quickly othered myself. Mm-hmm. Um, no one, no one ever really othered me. I othered myself as from a very, very young age. Um, and I also, before I had the words for it, really knew I was queer. Like I would have, my friends would talk about crushes on male teachers and I'd be like, no, not that one, the hot female teacher. Like that, that one. And like, would get like, what are you crazy about? Or like a slur thrown at me. And I'd be like, okay, okay. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be heterosexual. Okay, okay. Um, and so one of the reasons why I really waited was because I felt so much shame. I knew I like, there was, there was a period in my life where I was just like, I'm just not ever going to have sex. I'm never going to have sex. I'm never going to get married. I had conflated those two things, but I'm never, you know, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have a relationship. I'm going to be single forever because I'm not going to be able to get what I want because what I want is not okay. And Turns out what I want is actually completely okay. I just didn't have anyone ever tell me that. And everyone who I confessed my deepest, darkest secret to about wanting to get tied up and stuff like that was always like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's not normal. And so I just was like, oh, I'm never going to meet anybody who is going to want to engage in this with me. So I'm just not going to meet anybody. Mm -hmm. And then I was in college. And I, I went to film school. One of the semesters, I had to choose between taking a law class or an ethics class. And on Rate My Professor, the law class was better. So I selected the law class <laughs> and it was First Amendment law. And most of what I learned about in that class was pornography. And we talked really, really openly about porn and the First Amendment and obscenity And up until that point, I had just kind of thought that porn was illegal, that it was like a thing that happened, but that consuming it, that making it was against the law. I learned that it wasn't. I went on the internet, (laughs) typed in all the things I wanted to see into Google and realized that there was this whole world out there with people who were accepting of the things I wanted to do. And so I sought out that world. And I would, they grew up in Gainesville, Florida. I went to the University of Florida. It's a very, very small town. Um, There is no kink community. At least there wasn't when I lived there. There might be now, I don't know. But I would drive two hours down to Orlando to go to the dungeon and meet people at the dungeon because it felt so safe and so much like home. And I very quickly got adopted into the kind of leather family that was down there. And then after engaging in that world was when I met the person who would become this first boyfriend Mm -hmm. of mine who I like specifically sought out because I liked what he did and the skill set he had in, in kink. Mm -hmm. And then that relationship turned into sex with genitals instead of just BDSM. Yeah. I, love that you took the path of just like starting to go where your interests were. Like you didn't force yourself down a path that you thought you had to go on right away. Even though, you know, you were telling yourself in your head and society was telling you that the things that you wanted were wrong. You didn't force yourself into another box right away until like 
you started to explore slowly things you were interested in and followed that path, even if it took a long time or longer, not really a long time, but longer than maybe traditionally. Sure. 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 I do. I do actually, I was actually just talking to someone the other day who was like, when did you lose your virginity? Which is not like a concept. Like I don't love like the concept Mm -hmm. of virginity, but, um, I was, I, yeah, I was talking to this person. They were like, but how did you not? And I was like, I, I chose not to, I made conscious choices to not go on dates and not make out with people at parties. Like I, I chose that I would rather do nothing than be unhappy. And there is something that I'm like, that's really cool of me. Like Mm -hmm. I do nothing. And that's kind of cool. And then granted, at the same time, I look back and I'm like, oh, once I did start engaging in kink and BDSM, I did a lot of really, really stupid shit. (laughs) And like had a lot of unprotected sex and just, you know, once I got my feet wet, really jumped in and maybe, you know, the deep end that was a smidge too deep. Yeah. And I'm just really lucky that the people who I met took care of me when I was very young, really, when it comes down to it. Um, and at least at the very beginning, didn't meet people who immediately tried to take advantage of me because had I met someone who had bad intentions, I would not have known mm-hmm. what to do or even that they had bad intentions. I, I would, I knew, I knew nothing. And so there, there is the one hand of like, good job, me, good job, younger me taking care of yourself and your needs. And then the other part of me that's like, well, maybe if I had explored a little bit, when I started exploring for real, I would have had 10% of the knowledge or language. Like at the time I was like, like, I couldn't say the word penis. Like penis was like, hee hee hee, I said penis. Like it was, it was nothing, like nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and, well, I want you to ask your question, but I just want to say thank you for expanding on that because I, you know, looking back and you can say like this part, I felt really, this was really cool of me. And then, then maybe I, you know, recognize that I could have made some smarter choices, but you are where you are. And, and yeah, I just thank you for acknowledging that and sharing that. Absolutely. Well, and you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what's so right. hard. And, and I just, there's a point in your story where you, you had said, I didn't other, or nobody othered me but myself, but it sounds like you did get a lot of othering and a lot of shame mm-hmm. piled on, maybe not in those very sure. early days, but you know, yeah. if, if everybody you brought up your interest to was like, Oh, what's wrong with you? That's a pretty quick, like, I mean, at that age you get even like a raised eyebrow and you're like, Oh, never mind. <laughs> Forget sure, I said sure. anything. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Remember. I guess it's, you know, I, I have memories of thinking about stuff from a very young Mm -hmm. age and I don't have memories of being, you know, elementary school age and being othered. Sure. But definitely like high school, college for sure. But by that point, I already had so much internalized shame. Totally. That it was, I have a memory of telling of my, one of my best friends at the time that I was interested in spanking and being terrified to tell him and telling him and him being like, okay. But even that like lukewarm reaction, it wasn't negative. Like in hindsight, it was just him being like, that's not what gets my dick hard. And I'm a horny 20 year old. (laughs) So I want to talk about what gets my dick hard. 
<laughs> just like that, that like this much of a cold reaction at the time I was like, shame, shame, something's wrong with me. Yep. Can't relate to that at all. <laughs> I try to be more relatable, Casey. Um, I, I also loved how it sounds like porn. Like, first of all, I love that you went to a law class that turned into all about porn. Then, I mean, it sounds like that cracked your world wide open where you're like, you like it was almost like somebody opened up the gates to everything in life. And you're like, I had no idea that anybody else in the world existed that enjoyed these things. And, and then, well, I mean, geez, then you got all of Google at your fingertips, like good, good luck navigating yeah. that. As, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it did. That class, that class changed my life in the very, very literal sense. And I am still friends with that professor um, we've stayed in touch. I've lectured in his class a couple of times. He's come to my sets a couple of times when he's been out in LA. Um, he's, he's a really wonderful person. And I, I do genuinely feel very, very blessed to have met him and to have had him be so wonderful because he could have been the professor that teaches about obscenity, but then finds out that one of his students has started doing porn and gotten really weird and he never has been weird about it he's always been so so wonderful um and he's really cool yeah yeah and i'm curious how much of that and i guess slightly switching but how much of that inspired your own journey into getting into porn Mm -hmm. uh it it did all of it. It's so 100%. Perfect. 100%. 100%. Um, what I realized when I started looking on the internet was something that has actually proven to be true, which I think is really cool, is that porn is a safe space to explore sexuality mm-hmm. and specifically alternative sexualities. And so pretty early, I started modeling. Like in this, like all of this, like me me learning about BDSM, me starting having relationships with people, me starting being naked on the internet. It's all very, very overlapping within the span of like three or four months of my life. Um, Again, I like really jumped in once I jumped in. Um, But I realized it was like, if I'm doing this with people who are legitimate professionals, they know exactly what they're doing. They can teach me things. They can help me learn about what I like and what I don't like. And it's this very, very safe, controlled environment. And it is like porn, porn absolutely is this very safe, controlled environment to explore things in and try things out and see what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, there could be a whole separate podcast with me, like nitpicking, breaking down very specific things I like to do and things I don't like to do, because I've had so many opportunities to just kind of try whatever I wanted. And that's been really wonderful and really very amazing. Mm-hmm. I would love to do that podcast. So maybe we can make that because <laughs> that would be incredible. And, yes. Yes. And I just, I mean, I think we could probably have a whole episode just talking about porn and getting into oh, it for sure. and the impacts of it. But I just, maybe one quick piece from you that I would love to put out there because you said like it is, a, it can be a safe place, a safe space to explore these, but how, how do you, as somebody who's coming into a space that you don't know anything about, maybe you're 19, 20, how do you make sure you wind up 
at the safe space to explore versus a place where you might get exploited or have a not safe experience. Sure. Because yeah, I can't sit here and say that all porn is 100% safe. That Mm -hmm. would be hyperbole. That's just not true. Right. Um, For me personally, and also my advice for someone who's maybe interested in getting into porn or doing some form of online sex work is to really, really do your research. And by doing your research, I mean, looking into the things that you want to do and the companies that you want to work for and the performers who you admire. I think that one of the best ways to find information is to look at your your favorite performer, a role model kind of performer and see what that person does and who that person works with and who that person engages with and just do research and research and research and really vet people and check people's references and just try to find out as much information as you possibly can. There's so much on the internet and so many performers, myself included, are absolutely happy to talk to people and talk to new people and give advice and give recommendations and give referrals and all of that. And it's just about finding, finding a mentor, finding someone you can trust, finding someone who wants to help you out and, and learning and not, not doing what I did and just jumping right in. I recommend researching first. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I love that you said, too, that there's so many of the performers and people who work in the industry are wanting to help and mentor because, I mean, you you have a vested interest in having a great reputation for being safe because the safer it is, the better the reputation. I mean, the rising tide lifts all ships. And so... absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I love that you said that. And and again, I know we could have probably a two-hour conversation about that, but just I wanted at least to put a little bit out there for somebody so they didn't just take that and and, and follow exactly in your footsteps and be like, sure. well, what the hell? She yeah. said this was going to yeah, be... Yeah, <laughs> again, like I did some smart things. I also did some really stupid things. Um, <laughs> don't don't just be like me. Not It's not a great idea. There's, there's better ways to go about it for sure. <laughs> I love that. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I guess to build on that a little bit and segue into talking a little bit more about your work and uh, open it up to what do you want to get out there right now? Yeah. So what I have been working on recently is uh, directing what could be considered big budget features within the porn space. To me, I think that The porn space is a really interesting place to explore storytelling. Um, Porn porn performers are amazing actors. So many of them are amazing untapped talent when it comes to acting. And because of the inherent financial aspects about porn and the ways that porn makes money, it's been essentially like paid film school for me to be working with Erica and her company and being able to be a storyteller, which is really what's most important to me these days is telling stories and specifically the kinds of stories that I want to see represented in media that are maybe not super represented in media. And so primary was the, the first season of primary was the very first feature I ever directed. And really at the time I was working through my shit on the page by writing primary and primary 
every other season has also just been me working through my shit and me me figuring out my own shit and my the stuff that I'm struggling with by making my friends have these conversations for me. <laughs> um but but uh yeah what I what I really what I love to I love telling stories. That's what's really important mm-hmm. to me these days. Um it's about like showing authentic sex on screen in a way that isn't shameful or and in a way that isn't hidden. Yeah. Well, also, you know, how, how many TV shows are out there about polyamory, really, when it comes down to it, with, with actually, like, positive representations of polyamory, which is not to say that, you know, I think that all representations <laughs> of, of non-monogamy and media should be positive. Sure. But they can be realistic. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's really what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And links to your work will be in the show notes for anyone listening. Yeah. I, I love to the point you made about using you kind of using your friends to have the conversations <laughs> yeah. and, and, yeah. and you've, and I, I mean, this is sort of a, a tangential question to that, which is like, you, it sounds like you've seen your work and the way that maybe even you represent non-monogamy or polyamory shift throughout. And I, I would just say like this, I had this conversation the other day with somebody about our work in 300 episodes, the way that Emma and I talk about non-monogamy, totally different than three years ago. Maybe not totally, Mm -hmm. but there are so many experiences we've had today that we didn't have back then. And the lens that we looked at our relationship at other relationships, we're not, we're not those same people. That was five years ago. Right. And so I just, I think that's really important that you touch on that, that, that you're constantly learning your work is going to evolve and reflect that. Yeah. And, and we're still, we're not perfect. Yeah. I actually, I'd love to talk more about this because no one has given me the opportunity to talk about this when I've been talking about primary and doing interviews about primary and stuff. I mean, my show is called primary. Yeah. And at the beginning, it was very much about people's primary relationships. One of the couples is married and exploring essentially openness. The other couple in the show in the first season are boyfriend and girlfriend. And they're exploring like maybe a little bit of dating. Um, because that's what I was doing at the time. And that's what resonated with me. And now when season three is coming out, I'm like, Oh, I named my show primary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and season two is all about gender and gender exploration, because that was really what I was thinking about at the time and the way gender affects non-monogamy. Um, and then season three is really about, um, people's relationships with the things that they love and sometimes those things are people, but sometimes those things are not people. Sometimes those things are work. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely been this exploration of my own personal growth and change. And yeah, and the things that I'm I'm working through in my life. I, as a storyteller, I can't write something that doesn't feel true to me. I have to write my shit. That's mm-hmm. just what I do. And that's the kind of stories that interest me. And that's the kind of movies I like to watch. Yeah. And so, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really had the opportunity to be like, oh yeah, it's called primary and have an audience <laughs> of people who understand what I mean when I say that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really fun for me right now. <laughs> um, and sure, there is a there is a couple, the core couple of the show. It's about uh, it's very like interwoven storylines um, and the ways that different couples' lives interact in this big web. But the core main couple, they absolutely are in are married and in a hierarchical relationship for sure. They are each other's primary partners. For sure. And then in season three, what really gets explored is like, well, you're my primary person, but this, this work that I do, the, the, the husband and the relationship is writer and he is in the shit in the thing that he's writing on. It's been turned into a movie. He hates the movie and his relationship with this other thing that is primary to him, Mm -hmm. which is his work. And how that affects the human being who is his wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I'm thrilled that we, we touched know. on something you haven't gotten to talk about. Yeah, before. I'm actually, I'm super we, thrilled. Thank you. Yes, it's awesome. And I will say we've, we've come across that. And we've had people in the last maybe year or so start saying, well, we don't like the word non-monogamy because we like to talk about what we do do versus what we don't do. And yeah. I'm like, well, you know what? We can't rename it now. It's been, a, been, a, been a hot minute, so we're sticking with it. It's not offensive, I don't think. So if it ever crosses over to become an offensive term. Not monogamy. Yeah, oh. yeah we'll think about yeah, it. Yeah, I saw a really interesting conversation on Instagram the other day about, about the phrase ethical non-monogamy versus yep. maybe consensual non-monogamy. And just, I I am kind of obsessed with the way that language is shifting via the internet and how we can find specific words to actually communicate the things that we want to communicate rather than just using umbrella terms and hoping everybody understands. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a big one is the, cause then you rope in, I mean, for anybody who's not familiar with this debate, it, and I don't think we want to spend the next seven hours debating it. It's just the, the -hmm. idea that what is ethical and there's so much gray area there versus yes, saying consensual. Well, we can sort of say you consented and obviously there's still shades of gray but yeah that's shifting and and i think that's just the nature of it right what was okay to say today probably won't be in a couple of years and we'll have to adapt and that's the nature of evolving and learning yeah yeah i really like that there's this conversation about like polyamory or non-monogamy is not the one true correct way of doing relationships and everyone else is lesser than like everyone should do what feels right for them yeah that's that's our view on it yeah 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 sure (laughs) i love that well one one question that maybe you have a fun answer for (laughs) is is we love to show people that and i think we've done a good job so far but Mm -hmm. that it's not always things don't always go perfect and so we love to ask about bloopers if people have had bloopers and i know you probably have a host of bloopers from filming but i was also curious just relationally or in your personal world, like things that just didn't go the way you thought and everybody had a good laugh, maybe not right then, but eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Let me think. Cause I do have a million work bloopers, yeah. obviously, yeah. of course, in all kinds of different directions. <laughs> um, but relationship wise. Okay. This is this is half a plug for my movie, and I apologize because it's also a true story. No apology needed. No, that works. Um, that's great. But it sounds like it sounds like a plug, and like I'm being cheesy. But it also is something that 
absolutely happened, which is uh, a miscommunication about who was going to be at home and having the bedroom. And so two dates happened in two separate places. And then both the people, uh, both people arrived at the same time to the same bedroom <laughs> and had this moment of like, I thought you thought one of the couples was like already mostly naked and fucking. And the other couple, which was me, was like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. We're going to go now. And then like having to have this awkward conversation with the first date I was on of like, <laughs> So that's actually like fine. Don't flip out. I know it was really awkward, but it's actually like totally fine. He's fine. Don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and this like it was it was funny enough that I then put it in a movie. Right, right. I so, mean, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, just like that moment like I feel like I don't know. A lot of people have had this experience probably of just being like I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've opened the door and now you're here and I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to please continue. Have fun. I'll leave. It's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Nothing to didn't see mean here. to yeah. interrupt. Didn't mean to disturb. No, we're not having a, a an orgy tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> please go about your business. Have a lovely evening. <laughs> and I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm leaving. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a, that would have been a fun first date story too to be like your date's like no no we can stay and everyone's like okay yeah we'll just turn this into a different type of first date <laughs> there is that's the like i feel like that's the like non-monogamy fantasy version of that story that people who are monogamous think happens on every non-monogamy yeah. <laughs> Where they're yeah. like, you come home and you fuck, and everybody has sex with everybody all at the same time, and everyone has a you know an Alaskan king size bed, and yep. it's just you know one giant sex party all the time. Yeah, and everybody comes at the same time, and then everybody's exactly. happy, and nobody's feelings get hurt. It's perfect. Yeah, exactly, and no one has to worry about STIs or 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 pregnancy. Just like yes. everyone has an amazing time, no thoughts, no concerns. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. If only. If only. If only. <laughs> well, maybe if if we keep putting the porn out there, we'll get there. That's it seems to be the path. I'm guessing. Yeah, hopefully, you know, one day I'd love to put out a non-porn with the same kind of ideas. Cross your fingers for me. Totally. Well awesome. when that happens, we'll be here ready to promote the hell out of it. So Sweet. Um, yeah, let's definitely do this again. Cause I think there's some amazing conversations we could definitely have and we would, love, would love to do to. that. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Before we let you go today though, is there anything else that you wanted to get out there on this episode? Um, the thing I like to say when I'm like, what do you want to say last is just really communication is key. It really is. It sounds so cliche and so terrible, but communicating your wants and your needs, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's painful, really does actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you're okay, I would add, it's also really hard. And yeah. even when you think you're really good at it, you sometimes really fuck it up. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for your time today and for everything that you shared and for being here and for being here. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And we're back. Thank you, Casey, for everything. We love talking to you and are excited to get your story out there as well as send people your way to find your work. So a quick reminder, go to the links in the show notes to find everything that Casey talked about. Yeah. Again, just echoing Emma's gratitude. And also one of the things that Casey said in this was about sort of her dedication to storytelling and how she puts that into her own work. And just, I think you probably got a good flavor of that here because this was an amazing story to listen to. So yeah, thank you, Casey. And thank you for doing the work you do. Yes. A quick reminder that if you didn't hear it in the intro, or if you did, and you still need a reminder, our virtual meet and greets are back. They're coming back this fall. Our next one is September 20th. So mark that date. You can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the events tab and sign up. These are open to anyone. You just have to be open-minded and respectful. The easiest way to mark that date on your calendar is actually to sign up for the event and you'll get a meeting request from Zoom and then you just add it straight to your calendar. And it's easy peasy. It's right there. And then your whole polycule can see it and they'll be like, whoa, there's a, whoa, that's really cool. And then they're going to sign up and it pretty much, it's the domino effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, September 20th. So it could be Sign up, up now. Could be up to 10,000 people <laughs> if you all add this to your Google calendars. We might need to revisit our Zoom account then. I would happily upgrade <laughs> our Zoom account if we had 10,000 people on the Yeah, call. Me, me too. All right. Make it happen. <laughs> anyway, next week we have an interview with Natalie. This is another fantastic interview. And so come back and listen. Do you have anything else? I just think one of these weeks we should be like, next week we have an interview with Billy. It sucks. (laughs) Skip it. Totally skip it. (laughs) But that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. All right. All you Billys out there, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you anyway. And with that. And we don't think that your stories are terrible. Probably. Probably. We probably don't think that. (laughs) You're just trying to caveat a little bit. I just want to cover our asses. True. Okay. All right. With that, we will see you all next week for an amazing conversation with Natalie. And until then. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.